Welcome back to T-Minus 10. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick, and this is the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. Today's episode was a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Rich Wood, someone I know very well, someone also from the Rhode Island area. Um, he, he and I have known each other for a few years. Uh, what a fun conversation. So we, it, it's interesting because we cover such a range of, he, he as an individual has a ton of range himself, being a PhD, having worked from high-flying startups. He was in academia, was initially a sports performance coach. Uh, we talk about all this in the episode, so I'm excited for you to hear his career arc, his story arc, and kind of how he checks in and stays on top of his North Star, which is having an impact, why he made the decision to take the leap from academia on the tenured professor path to joining this high-flying startup that was really small at the time, building out their education team. I mean, he has seen and done so many things that will resonate with those of you who listen to this show in the world of patient education, clinician education, chronic health, and now working and leading teams at CVS. Very excited for you to dive in and to hear his advice on how to how to stay tuned to your own personal needs in North Star and, uh, and how to build something that is meaningful, that lasts, it has a wide impact. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Rich Wood. Rich, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Tim, this is great. I'm thrilled to be here and excited to talk with you today. Absolutely. So let's, um, you have quite the background and experience and I've known you for a couple of years now, uh, but please, if you would give some context to the folks listening, uh, kind of where where you started, how you made the transition from the ivory towers, and uh, just kind of an initial backdrop for where we're going to take this conversation. Absolutely. I never could have predicted the path, Tim. Uh, so that's actually one of my probably best career learning so far. Um, so I started off in the world of sport performance. I was an athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach. Um, loved it. And it was, it was just a fun, action-packed living but getting somebody to jump an inch higher and teaching hang cleans forever, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself doing that. I didn't feel like it was the right level of impact for me uh, as much as I loved it and respect the field so much. So I knew I could help people with the exercise and the sports medicine type of skills, but how did I combine that to help more people with metabolic disease? So I knew nutrition was kind of a missing link for me. So uh, that's what I leaned towards. I did my PhD in nutritional sciences, uh, lipid metabolism. Uh, people ask me, how did you choose lipid metabolism? And my uh, honest answer is it's really cool. Uh, I just got it and loved it and learned so much about cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, and just became fascinated at that point. Uh, did a postdoc in uh, diabetes, obesity research, both pharmaceutical lifestyle interventions uh, at Pitt. Tremendous experience. Uh, again, loved it. Uh, and then I became a college professor for 10 years. Uh, so now kind of sticking in the academic and clinical research, teaching, uh, running academic programs. Um, love, love teaching. One of my favorite things, and I do think at some point in my career, I'll, I'll go back to teaching because I love it so much. Um, and then, uh, about uh, after 10 years of teaching, I, I had a great conversation with a mentor of mine and told me about this company that they were building, which was a small startup company at the time called Verta Health. Uh, and I was I was tenured associate professor, took the leap, uh, left academia and, and ended up going out to Silicon Valley uh, 
uh, with, with Verda and spent three and a half amazing years there. Some of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. Kept focusing on this metabolic disease piece, um, but really kind of adding to that, how do you take that out of a brick and mortar setting and, and turn it into a remote operation? Uh, I did a lot of education work. I'm sure we can dive into that for a few minutes there. Uh, and now I'm with CVS Health, been a little over two years now. So from startup world to uh, Fortune 4 enterprise, uh, so uh, and, and coming from academia. So three interesting kind of stops in the career path so far. Rich, something you, you said initially really jumped out and that is you couldn't have predicted it and you, that you think that's, that's why you love it so much. And obviously that resonates. I completely subscribe to that and identify with that. I would love for you to answer two questions. So the first is, taking that leap from academia after that conversation, after 10 years, you, you were on a path that a lot of people aspire to. Um, and you said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna go with my gut here and, and take a leap. And maybe that's part of what you're hinting at here. It worked out well. I, I'd love for you to talk about how you, how you kind of thought about that decision. And then if you could segue into how education did play a role in that initial small person team and uh, working with those other brilliant folks who were on that early team, because that is such a huge, enormous transition, you know, that as a founder, and I talked to a lot of founders here on the show and elsewhere, we all, I get it, but the early people who believe in the idea and are willing to take that leap, they're really the ones who make it possible, right? So people like yourself. So if you could answer that first, why make the decision? And then also t tell us a bit about how you worked through the education challenges with your team. Oh, yeah, I'd love to, Tim. And, you know, it was such a difficult decision, I got to say, because like I said, I love teaching. I love being in front of the students. I love getting that light bulb moment. And it didn't matter if I was in the lab teaching people how to run an assay, uh, drawing on the board. Uh, my students know how much I love the dry erase board. I loved that. But um, I also had to think a little bit about how can I have the biggest impact? And honestly, in the world of higher education, there are a lot of constraints. So there's programmatic accreditation, institutional accreditation. There's so many different control levers that are very hard to work against that I kind of thought if I could free my mind a little bit and, and actually kind of do some of the things that we thought were possible, uh, I might actually be able to have a bigger impact, but still get to teach. So. I didn't take it lightly. I had amazing colleagues where I worked and, and I still am in touch with a lot of them. So that was the big thing was kind of like allowing my mind to go where I wanted to go, uh, not feeling as constrained. Uh, and it felt like with a startup company, especially you wear so many hats, you get to kind of run pretty wild. And that's really different from the world of academia. So, uh, you know, it was it was a stressful decision, but I have not regretted it once. And it was uh, just a crazy adventure. And so getting, once I got there, I did a lot of different things, but one of my favorites was uh, I started a team called the clinical education team. And we were responsible for the patient facing content. So how do you teach somebody to adopt a certain type of dietary practice? Um, so creating that content, but also for the clinician facing content. So when folks came in that were joining our team as colleagues, how did we get them up to speed and how did they learn how to administer the treatment effectively and safely? And that's what that team was all about. 
Uh, interestingly, Tim, that's I've kind of taken a lot of those learnings to where I am with CVS in terms of how to build a team. I have the most amazing team right now uh, of folks, and I've kind of learned about how to build that team through my experiences in academia, but also in the startup world. So teaching, you know, I, I, I want to keep coming back to this because it's, it's a common thread in everything you're doing. And um, maybe I want to, I, I absolutely want to get to the personalized nutrition opportunities, challenges you're seeing because you have had such varied experience from uh, helping high performance athletes to helping patients who don't know the first thing about their disease, right? Those are uh, fundamentally very different challenges, but I'm sure the common thread is we need to learn. We need to know how how to learn, and that requires under whether you're a patient or someone in that patient's care partner network or the, the clinicians who are, are caring for them. Um, I'd love to have you talk about maybe opportunities for some of your teaching talent in the work that you do and how that maybe radiates into how you think about building teams, how you think about uh, delivering education, whether it's personalized nutrition or otherwise, mm -hmm. but are you still able to kind of use that, that muscle, the teaching muscle, and do you, do you find that you're, you're going back to it and finding ways to use the whiteboard, for example? Yeah, oh, and I found a digital whiteboard that I can use during meetings, so I'm out about that. So, um, and I hope to use it more. So, you know, Tim, if I can bring the teaching skills into everything I do, I'm comfortable because I know how to do that. And if I had to kind of sum it up, I would say good teachers are good at explaining complicated information in simple ways so that somebody else can walk away and explain that complicated thing. That's what I think somebody who's really good at teaching can do. So you've got to have that content knowledge to be able to decipher the complexity and then kind of distill it down into understandable messaging. And then the second piece is building good relationships. If you don't understand what makes somebody tick, it's, it's a little hard to teach, right? So we all have to have a reason that we want to learn. And, and for me as, as an educator in any format, I need to know what gets people excited and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, in terms of building the team, that's been huge. That's been a big part of it. Get, building relationships is something. In fact, everybody who started with me, um, that's one, I asked them to do three things when they join. And one of them is build relationships. I want them to have a coffee with somebody, uh, go out and, and have discussions and just get to know folks. And that's really, really important. And then in terms of the complexity, um, you know, we have an amazing opportunity for impact at CVS Health. The, the platform is tremendous. Uh, the number of lives that we serve and take care of is huge, but it's very complex because of that. And so I think my teaching skills can come into play because understanding the complexity and figuring out what is the next step we need to take to have a big impact is actually a pretty important skill in that role. Yeah, so this is, um, I, now I, I appreciate you sharing, especially the, the things you ask of your team and how, how that teaching allows you to be comfortable and how you're approaching team building, but also the, the mission you're, you're espousing. The, I want to get into personalized nutrition and just to, to kind of earmark this and frame this for a second. It would seem if you look at the people who I talk to or have on this show that there are a fair number of PhDs and people who have, have been through a ton of school and understand things like complexity levels that others likely will never really fully grasp. So I think it's really important 
for those listening who are often clinicians who are the ones talking to patients to know how a couple things one how can they play a role in the education piece because you have such a broad perspective of from why it's important from a physiological standpoint all the way down to how should patients act on those that knowledge so what is it that they can do to kind of support uh, that role and then bringing in the personalized nutrition aspect right because as you pointed out metabolic disease and the worlds where we both operate um, is such a huge part of kidney disease in particular where a lot of the folks listening to this and who are guests on this channel uh, do talk about so can you can you maybe talk to those two aspects of how the care team contributes through the lens of education and, and what roles they can play and then opportunities and perhaps personalized nutrition and some of the, the areas you've spent your career looking at. Absolutely. So I think for the first part, for the education and the care team, if you're lucky enough to be on a care team where you have somebody who can focus on educating the patient, I would be very careful about designing the journey that the, the patient goes on. So if you're in a dialysis clinic, think through what is the journey that this patient is typically on and find the important points within that journey and make sure that the appropriate clinician is giving you the, the pearls of wisdom for each of those points in the journey. So at a high level, that's how I'd approach it. And I would ask the clinical team to think about what is it in this patient journey that you are responsible for and how can you get the actionable, understandable information to somebody about that step in the journey. That's how I would look at it. The challenge is not everybody has the, that luxury, okay, of somebody who's mapping a patient journey or um, is spending time. And I think if that's not the case, I would be thinking about the very few simple things that you could teach somebody during each encounter. So thinking about where they are in that journey and then using a minute or two and having some nuggets of information to provide them at that time. Um, and I think that does dovetail nicely in a personalized nutrition. <clears throat> if I, you know, and having a PhD in nutrition is a really funny thing, Tim. So every time, uh, you know, you go to a cookout, it's, oh, what's this guy letting his kids eat? And, you know, it's, it's actually kind of funny, uh, the comments that you get. But one of the things I've just simply observed is, first of all, there's a lot of people who are really healthy that follow completely different dietary patterns. Um, second of all, I'm not convinced that everybody needs the same pattern for their entire life. Some people might thrive on different patterns at different times. So that's more of how I look at nutrition. If you look back at, in, the, in the old days where you look at things like the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, which in my opinion is probably one of the worst things we ever did in nutrition, unfortunately, um, and, and we're trying to, to come back from that right now. Um, but that was more of like a one-size-fits-all approach. And it's just so clear that that doesn't work. And the problem is when you take that approach and it only works for a very narrow group of folks, uh, not only do people not get healthier, they also lose faith and trust in, in the system. So with personalized nutrition, there's an opportunity to kind of match the person with a pattern and with the time of their life in the stage. So if they're a young athlete with a proponent for, you know, it's, uh, certain types of chronic disease. Maybe there's one pattern and as they get older, maybe it changes. And with things like wearables and all the technology we have, we're at this really cool point in time where we can actually be much more personalized with how we deliver nutrition advice. 
Amazing. I, I can hear all kinds of opportunities at the personal level and at the care team level. Um, so that's got to be fun for you to to be working on to end up seeing. Obviously, you've been doing this for, for a while now and to see where to go from theory, you know, first practicing high performance athletes, then to the theory side, academia research, and now yes. all the way up to seeing where technology and better programming has, has allowed us to to, to get to. It's going to get me Tim too. If I, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you that. It's going to be interesting because I say to my kids, I have a 15 and 12 year old and I say the challenge of your generation is going to be deciphering true information from not so strong information. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges they'll all because they've got all the information they need and nutrition is not a heck of a lot different. It's trying to figure out the right information for the right time and the right person. And that is a big challenge because in the in nutrition, everybody eats. We all have to eat. So everybody's got this strong opinion. So it is actually kind of an interesting dynamic between, you know, whether it's research and clinical practice and nuances of personalized nutrition, factoring in all of those opinions that you develop when you eat uh, a few times every day. Yeah, there's talk about information overload, right? It's like there's just so many different buckets of information from your lived experience and the behaviors you already have to the things you need to learn, digest, and turn into those behaviors. It's like there, I would imagine, and I'm not you know, in, in your world, but there are probably very few things that are as built in to the individual as the things we eat because it is something we do so often, to your point. So it's just a fascinating thing to to be in on the task of unpacking and solving for. For sure. Cool. Um, I, I do, in, in wrapping up here, I want to I talk a bit about how you think about your, obviously your career journey, the places you're going, but how you continue to kind of cultivate that perspective, right? Because you do have a PhD, you're working with uh, a very large company, having a big impact clearly your North Star is is impact. Um, but you're an expert and I'm curious how how do you find inspiration and, and guidance either from your team or your your personal networks? What is it that allows you to continue to learn and pressure test where you are on your journey and marching towards your impact star and kind of how you're doing on a day to day or year to year basis? Oh man, that's a fun question, Tim. Uh, Something I've started doing over the last year is it's and it's serving a couple interesting purposes is to get in touch with mentors and friends and colleagues that I haven't talked to in a while, um, and especially those who I've considered mentors in my career. And I just catching up with folks is just the best part. But then it's kind of having a couple of questions in mind for those folks and learning. So none of us got to where we are on our own, right? So like we've all had these influences. We've had people who have given us good and bad advice, and I love to just kind of have conversations. So I, I'd call them a riff session, and I've been having a lot of riff sessions, and that helps me to use my creative mind more than I could otherwise. So asking people things like, with all the data availability now, how do you expect nutrition to evolve over the next three to five years? And you ask a really smart person that question, it's so fun just to let them unpack it and learn from their thought process and where they think things are going. So I've been doing a lot of those riff sessions and I love doing it. Okay, immediate follow-up question because this I love this idea. I've been trying to do a bit of this myself. Would you have 
done this, found this valuable at all stages of your career? Is this more of a now thing or what would you recommend for someone maybe earlier or on a different path? Is, is this a thing you would just constantly recommend or find applicable, you think? A hundred percent. I wish I had thought of this. Now, the truth is it did happen more when, it, when we were more of an in-person type of world. Uh, when I was sitting around in an athletic training room, we, we would do this. When I was on a long bus ride with you know, the hockey team from city to city, we would do this. When I was in the lab running an assay, we would do this. But I think especially over the last few years, there's just been less of that opportunity to have what people might call water cooler discussions. And so I think this would have been a good thing. I think it has been a good thing for me over my career. And somebody who's starting out, I would highly recommend finding a couple of folks who you consider mentors um, and start those conversations and just quarterly have a quick call, get to know each other, ask really hard questions because it's for people who like to think that's actually really fun. I, I love this advice and I appreciate it, Rich, because I'm, I'm of the same mindset. I've I, lately, I think since COVID, I've done a, a better job of trying to find those six to 10 people who I want to talk to regularly and just bounce ideas off of. And I, you know, for another just one data point, I feel like that I've learned the most from those conversations too in the last couple of years. And I'm excited about just adding to that because every time you, you change a person, you get, it gets a bit different, right? The feeling is a little bit different. The DNA of the group is a little different and you get something new from it. So I, I really like that and appreciate you sharing. But uh, Rich, this brings us to the end here. Always good catching up with you. Uh, where can people get a hold of you if they are listening to this, want to know more about you or say hello after this is over? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn. I'm not a big social media guy, um, but I am on LinkedIn. Richard J. Wood, PhD, and you can certainly email me dr.rich.woood at gmail.com. Perfect. We'll include all of that in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. Rich, thank you for joining us on T-10. Always good to see you. This was a blast, Tim. Thank you so much.